to part nine of the 007 countdown from Some Like It Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by the countdown crew, Scott Shelton and Jay Habib. Today on the podcast, we're down to our final two films in the series, which means it's time for 2012's Skyfall. But first, how are you guys doing? Pretty good, Scott. Again, trying to think of like something current that's happening to point out, and I really can't. But all in all, it, it you know August is wrapping up very quietly, which I guess is all we could really ask for at this point. Anything good going on with you, Scott Shelton? I mean, there was a hurricane that hit the other day. That's current. Fair. I, I didn't feel like it affected the New York City area particularly badly. No, um, it didn't. I thought I was. I thought my flight back from the vacation that I was on was going to be. A total shit show but it wasn't it was the normal flight <laughs> there was nothing nothing happened i mean i did it's move my flight story. i did move my flight to the morning from the afternoon slash evening um but i'm not even sure that the evening flight was even affected to be honest so eh. glad you made yeah. it back yeah. in one piece yeah I don't really have that much exciting to report either. I will say that my parents did just go to South Dakota for a week, um, which was an interesting sort of vacation that um, did they get lost you know, on their way to Minnesota? Maybe a lot of people don't take. No, we've been to Minnesota plenty of times before, actually. No, no, that was the joke um, I was making because I know you have the time. You guys had that timeshare up there, right? It's in uh, in Wisconsin, but yeah. Oh, um, but we go to Minnesota. But yeah, I mean, uh, you know, South Dakota is kind of a cool spot. I was really enjoying looking at all their photos. They went to like the Badlands and all that stuff. All the all this uh, the sites of the 2020 Best Picture winning film Nomadland. They really uh, they visited quite a lot of those, uh, including, like I said, the Badlands, the Black Hills, Wall Drug, a lot of the stuff you see in the movie. So of course I liked it for that reason. But um, yeah, did they see, go to the like public a, bathrooms cool and everything place. to see the ones that she was cleaning? <laughs> Did they go I'm to the not Amazon sure they facility? Did. They may have. I think the Amazon facility was it's in, somewhere. It's in Nevada, I think. Or... This was a trivia question that I had, and I sh- ashamedly missed it. But it's also it's also one of those things that like isn't really that uh, prominent in the movie. And somebody who's just like skimming Wikipedia to ask a question about Nomadland would be like, oh, yeah, I'll just ask about this. Because it obviously they would mention that a lot in the movie. But I feel like it's not really clear in the movie that it's Nevada. But. Well, all the, all the public discourse about Nomadland, it would have appeared that the movie was actually about Amazon, I think. Yeah. So that, that it, it's an understandable Seattle. mistake. Yeah. Yeah. It is. But anyway, I think we've had we've had enough Nomadland chat over the past year. Um, <laughs> go check it out. I quote it every single time I finish the podcast nowadays. But um, it's true. Turning to our, our order of business today, as mentioned, our movie is 2012 Skyfall. Helmed by Oscar winner Sam Mendes, Skyfall sees James Bond, played by Daniel Craig, facing one of his most difficult and personal challenges yet when MI6 is attacked by terrorists attempting to expose the identity of the organization's undercover agents. When a wounded Bond resurfaces to help the mothership, M, played by Judi Dench, sends him right back out into the field, knowing she will need her best agent to help foil this close-to-home plot. Bond's investigation soon leads him to China, where he follows a trail of clues that ends with one of his most dangerous foes yet, the megalomaniacal former MI6 agent Raul Silva, played by Javier Bardem. But if Bond is to defeat Silva and rescue MI6 from the brink of ruin, he comes to realize he may have to return to his roots, quite literally, and a forgotten specter of his past, his childhood home, Skyfall. 
Guys, nine years later, Skyfall remains one of the most well-loved films in the James Bond franchise. But, Jay, we'll start with you. Does the movie live up to the hype, or does Daniel Craig fail to regain his footing after the shaky Quantum of Solace? You know, I think I'm realizing why Scott Shelton loves this movie so much. Isn't the plot of this movie very similar to Mission Impossible in terms of the list and trying to get it back and whatnot? At least that, the, the very first Mission Impossible. <laughs> yeah, the knock list. Yeah, that, that is true. I didn't even make that connection, but it kind there of does. There you go. Well, Man, not... <laughs> have you seen the first Mission Impossible movie? A very long time ago. I don't know if anybody would be comparing these <laughs> those two movies <laughs> in terms of feel. I yeah. mean... Not to unpack all that. Let's talk about Skyfall. I just I, I made that connection and I was like, oh, yeah. maybe he likes it because it's Mission Impossible. Junior. Coming but, coming to another countdown <laughs> series at some point in the future. Oh, I'm sure. Maybe. But I I really like this one. Um, I went and watched it like the night after we finished recording the last episode because I was ready to move past the shaky Quantum of Solace. And you know this one this one really stepped up. I think it was a great improvement. Over the last one, I get why it's so beloved. I'm sure we'll get to some of the reasons why, but the, the main one I want to call out, just because you and I both use the word shaky to describe the last movie, and that applies to both the movie and the camera or the you know shooting of that movie, is you know Sam yeah. Mendes, his touch on this movie, just fantastic. I mean, you know, maybe a few too many like very long landscape shots, but again, nice like long cuts, like you know, just cinematically like much more aesthetically pleasing. Um, with a plot that kind of makes more sense at some points and then just kind of goes out the window for the rest. But all in all, still like a very fun, again, aesthetically pleasing time. Craig brings it again. Um, this one's, you know, going to finish up there. Very, very good movie. Yeah. I mean, look, Sam Mendes, I, you know, f- for those who have listened to the podcast, know how much of a fan I am of 1917. And I think I probably even mentioned how much of a fan I was on that episode where we reviewed 1917 of some of Sam, the other Sam Mendes work that I have seen, which is Skyfall, Bond movies, um, et cetera. But yeah, this film, I had high expectations going into it. It was one of the ones that in my mind, you know, I thought that I was going to really like. Um, I mean, I absolutely loved it the first time, the first few times I've, I saw it. It's been a little bit since I've seen it more recently. Um, I think it's probably been like three or four years now maybe even a little bit longer since I last revisited uh, Skyfall. But I have a really memorable, uh, I guess, sort of experience seeing it the first time, sort of senior year of high school. And, you know, I just felt like this was one of those kind of first movies that I remember seeing as like an independent adult almost. I mean, not that I was an independent adult in senior year of high school, but this notion where I like really started to think, I think, think more about movies and, just was really in awe and in, in a lot of ways about, about what this movie was capable of doing. And um, Daniel, like I was already enamored, I think with, with Craig's bond from Casino Royale, um, maybe less so quantum of solace, but really cemented it. And so really high expectations coming into this rewatch for me. And it did really hold up. I, I thought, you know, maybe anytime you have a, such high expectations for a film, it's really hard to live, live up to those, especially when you might think it's going to be your favorite of a particular series or franchise, which, I mean, I think it probably came in with the highest expectations for this one. And to have it still follow through in a lot of ways, and then having had so many years, you know, sort of elapsed since then, discover new things about it and think more critically 
about some of the underlying themes and less just about like, you know, the sort of the the superfluous almost nature of, of a lot of action movies, which I think Skyfall certainly falls into at times, I think was really rewarding in that sense as well. And especially when you think about how it so very deliberately ties together to a lot of the other movies. I mean, specifically the last two Bond movies being Craig Bond movies, but also how it relates back to the franchise more broadly, even in like the small number of films that we saw relative to the full franchise. I mean, how many illusions there are to past Bond movies just of the six or whatever it was that we saw were, were pretty, uh, pretty there. I'd say they were pretty there. Six or the, yeah, it was six movies. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I just think that, I think I described it this way in my letterbox review, but I really do feel like this is of, of the ones that we've seen, you know, this really feels like the best of all worlds of bond for me and what I'm looking for. I mean, I think you have a lot of the nods and the sentiments of sort of the older bond movies with a lot of modern sensibilities sort of built into them and has emotional stakes as well, which I think is one of the things that a lot of the early movies were completely lacking. Like they feel like very just detached, um, almost wrote in a lot of ways, sort of, attempts at, at making entertaining films. And I think that one of the things that has consistently impressed me about the Craig run is how they've been able to work in sort of this, these overarching themes of which we can get. I mean, I, I feel like I've been a broken record on these last few episodes talking about these, but this idea that Craig's bond and, and bond maybe just as a character in general, is like, he just sort of consistently fails his way through a lot of these things. And he has to like deal with the consequences of that. Um, and he's having to, to deal with a lot of failures and having the past come back to haunt him ha- and the people around him having their past come back to haunt them. And I just find that like a super interesting exploration, how they're able to do that across multiple directors, I think is really interesting. But I think Sam Mendes and hit the touch the way that Jay described it, the touch that he brings to this film, I think it's really spectacular. It definitely is, you know, closer, if not beyond, um, what, uh, Martin Campbell was able to do with Casino Royale. And, you know, much less of what, you know, what was done more with Quantum of Solace. And that's something that I really appreciate. I think Jay's talking about sort of like longer takes with these like, you know, more scenic uh, landscape shots. I think that's I think that works really well. Um, something that I'm a huge fan of personally. Obviously, it's not, it's not going to be for everyone, but it is a huge contrast uh, to what you get with Quantum of Solace. That's for sure. Um, and I, I know you guys were a little bit more negative on it than, than I was, but. I think that that's something that's definitely true. And I think the camera work and the way that just a lot of the movie is framed, um, both from, you know, the perspective of the camera, but also just, I think narratively works a lot better. I think the story, you know, it's an interesting choice. I think to sort of almost completely discard everything in terms of like direct narrative plot threads from the last two movies going into Skyfall. I think that it carries through a lot of the themes in a lot of ways, but kind of just completely discards with quantum as an organization um vesper everything with vesper i mean like yeah it almost pisses me off more the way that they wrap that up in quantum of sauce at the end like they just tack that on at the end of quantum of sauce like oh let's just we're moving on now so let's just throw this in there so we can have some sort of closure but it's like not really yeah i don't think it's as dismissive as that for me i think that it's, it's handled a little, with a little bit more nuance considering the conversations that that you know craig's bond has with olga kirilenko over the course of the film we, we talked about that in that episode um but i do agree that it, it did feel rushed at the end and if you know if i were to put one thing and be like i thought it was interesting that you know they just didn't want to touch 
that stuff and they didn't want to bring that back around. I think that it probably ends up making a more cohesive type movie, just sort of standalone. Skyfall is like a standalone Bond film, but it, it was an interesting choice to sort of put that aside, at least for this movie. Um, but overall, I, I love this film. I think that it's really some, there are some really fantastic performances. You know, I, I think it's amazing that Judy Dench as M, this character who is, you know, been a sideline player, you know, at best a bit part in almost every Bond movie that we've ever seen is a main character in this film. And you get a lot more from that. I mean, she's such a phenomenal actress over the course of her career and, and getting to bring that to the franchise as this sort of secondary character who's not Bond, but who's not a villain either is like really important side character, I think is really cool. Um, you know, I think the, I mean, like you could argue that <laughs> there's not really, I mean, there are Bond girls in this movie, don't get me wrong, but they're not important. They're not critical um, to the plot, which I think it honestly really benefits from because it gets to spend a lot more time with Judy Dench as a character, um, you know, and some of the other threads that come up over the course of the film. And I think you have a really memorable villain. I think I think Javier Bardem Silva is really memorable for a lot of ways. I think that he's doing his like normal Javier Bardem villain stuff, which I think won't work for everyone because it's it is a bit out there. Um, but I think it does fit into the Bond universe and the Bond franchise, and it's it feels like a really good fit. And you feel like this this villain is a match for Bond, which I don't know if we always feel like in a lot of these movies that um, you know have Bond villains, like even with Alec Trevelyan you know, who was a double O agent didn't always get the, like it, it didn't, you didn't always get the impression that, you know, bond, like he was bond, like a, a peer or an equal really to bond. At least I didn't always feel that way in the movie. Um, so I think it's an interesting, interesting take there. And, and I think that just adds sort of to the stakes of the whole film overall. And as the, as the sort of film unravels the past connections that he has to, to M makes for a really compelling story. I, I thought it was pretty easy to follow. Granted, I've seen the movie multiple times before. Um, and I just think that there's just a lot of cool stuff that Sam Mendes is able to do uh, with this film. And um, like I said, it's kind of a, it's kind of interesting that it's such a standalone film compared to the last two movies where they're setting up these sort of overarching narrative plot threads. But I think it really works on the whole. Yeah, I also had an interesting experience when I saw this for the first time, which was that my theater experience was going on a Saturday night when I was at a model UN competition, I believe in yeah. Nashville um, <laughs> was obviously like very spent from that, just very tired. And for some yeah. reason I decided it was a good idea to go yeah, two and a see half this hour movie, movie at 10 35 PM in theaters. Also when I had a scratched cornea, like the worst I've, my eye has ever felt in my life. Like it was all swollen up. I had my glasses on, of course. And I decided, Oh yeah, let's go see Skyfall. Um, That's cowboy shit. Scott. I still really enjoyed the movie at the time, but I definitely think I enjoyed it more this time around. Um, and it does have issues. It's not a perfect movie for me. We will get into some of that. Um, I just think that like when it's good, it is so good, like in a way that no other Bond movie is. It's just like, you feel like you're watching a real movie. Like when this movie is really good. Um, and we haven't mentioned his name yet, but the real game changer here, Roger Deakins, like yeah. he yeah, I mean, you guys are talking about the camera and the, you know, different techniques and everything. Obviously, a lot of that is Sam Mendes, but like Roger Deakins um, cinematography is just like 
stunning. Like it, it, you're like, what is this doing in a James Bond movie? Like, um, it it is kind of crazy. Like the way he shoots Skyfall is just like, so you you say, what is it doing in a Bond movie? But like, if you think of people who are truly like cinematic directors, that's like Deacons. And like Bond is a like that is a cinematic experience. Like it, you should have directors like Deacons. But well, sure, but nothing that like really none of the movies we've seen so far have, I agree. Like, have yeah, had this totally. kind of like yeah. extra layer of craft when it comes to the technical when it comes to the cinematography at least. But um hey, yeah, yeah, I mean he Sam Mendes doesn't even have, have a good relationship at this point, I'd say. Yeah, it's a real godsend after Quantum Assault. Again, that the contrast could not be more stark. Um, from what we saw with the editing and, and everything in that movie to going to Roger Deakins where everything is just so fluid and it's just, yeah, you I mean, it's so cinematic again, like you said. Um, like the the intercutting sequence of M giving like her patriot, or she's quoting from the, the Tennyson poem or whatever, cutting between that and um, Bond, like, what is he on, like a motorcycle or something? Um that like was like just chills like that was just so good um the way that um that whole thing was was staged um and I, yeah again I, I was like surprised like that i would feel this way during a bond movie um and so yeah i think the highs are just so high and they carry this movie a long way um i'm not as thrilled with raul silva as a villain um as some people are I don't know. There's we'll get into it. Is that, in is that, I'm curious time, if that's like a Javier Bardem thing, because I do think that he is like the kind of person who you either you either <laughs> dig what he does or you don't dig what he does. And that's it just it could be that. because like as much as I admire his performances, Anton Chigurh, um in yeah. No Country for it Old does, Men. That doesn't work I'm, very well for me. I'm also like. You know, when it gets brought up as like best villain performances and stuff, I'm like, I don't know. Um, so maybe it is just his thing. I think he's doing a little bit of Hannibal Lecter here in a way that doesn't quite work work for me. But um, yeah, I think Craig is great. I think Judy Dench is fantastic. Um, Scott, you're talking about the whole like failure as a narrative here. I think it's interesting how they bring that into this movie with M specifically, because she is like the person who is always, yeah. you know, in charge and in control of everything. And, you know, she blows it at the beginning. She tells Eve Moneypenny to take the shot and she shoots Bond like um, and then she has to live with that. And, you know, there's all these inquiries going on about her role in MI6 and, mm-hmm. you know, undercover agents are getting exposed and it just feels like everything is crumbling around her. And so I love like the bond that is able to no pun intended, the bond that forms between her and Bond, because um you know, Bond is someone who, like you said, Scott, has kind of just been like a little bit of a screw up for, um, you know, a lot in a lot of the movies that we've seen. And M is not that. And so she's experiencing that kind of for the first time. And she um, takes solace again. No pun intended. And. Uh, oh, in yeah. You're, you're not intending these puns now. You're going to tell me you're not. I'm not. Those? No. In connecting with Bond against somebody who kind of, you know, can understand what she's going through. So I think that that stuff works really well. Again, it's it works on an emotional level that almost no other Bond movie does. I still think I like Casino Royale more on the whole um, as a movie, but the movie's excellent. Like there, there's no denying it. Um, I was probably a little bit unfair to it in the past of saying like, well, this is the Bond movie for people who don't like Bond movies. Um, and you know that may be true but like that's a good thing because like again i don't think that like the the old the other bond movies that we've watched are really like that 
great. I mean, I've enjoyed some of them, you know, to a, to a fair degree. I've given some of them fairly high ratings, but again, they're not stuff that I go back and rewatch. So the fact that it's like a more conventionally enjoyable than a regular Bond film, in this case, is a good thing because I don't think the other Bond films are like, you know, that that classic or anything, in my opinion. You know, th- again, there's a few good ones in there. Um, but yeah, so I, I, maybe I was a little bit sniffy about that. But the movie's really good. Um, I will bring up some of the issues I have. But on the whole, like, I under- I totally understand why this movie gets the hype that it does and why it is the favorite Bond film of so many people. Um, because again, on, on the conventional level, I think it, it it is possibly the most enjoyable Bond film, um, most cinematic, certainly. But let's talk about Daniel Craig's performance as 007. You know, we continue to see this character evolve um, over the course of three movies now in the way that we haven't we haven't really been able to see an evolution with any of the other actors. Number one, because we've only watched one or two movies from each. Number two, because I'm not sure there is much of an evolution of the character um, with respect to these other actors. But um, clearly they're, you know, setting up a a true arc for Bond over the course of these movies. Um, Scott, what do you think about what Skyfall adds to the character of Bond and to Daniel Craig's performance, if anything? Yeah, I think one of the I think that, you know, I was someone who really has talked. I feel like I've talked a lot and brought up a lot and pushed a lot this narrative of like, well, they have a this arc is super interesting what they're doing with Bond from you know Casino Royale even through Quantum of Solace in spite of it being a more mediocre film. I, I still think that they're doing quite a bit with with this Craig version of Bond, and I think that it's not quite as fluid for some of the reasons that I've already laid out from Quantum of Solace to what happens here in Skyfall. But I do think that they are continuing to build on the character of bond as this person like you know like you sort of mentioned scott like kind of a screw up has failed in a lot of ways in the first two films has still you know managed to scrape his way through these various encounters sometimes through luck sometimes you know through the help of others and sometimes through his own skills as well and i think that this is one where it feels like there is a sort of wall put up of like all right like you failed your way through a lot of things you're going to have some more failures at the beginning of this movie, but there is going to be an obstacle that comes into your path where failure like really starts to have like a heavy price. And so I think it's like rate in some ways it's like raising the stakes in a different way than I think what we've seen. Like we, like we saw several films uh, including Casino Royale, like raising the personal stakes for bond himself. And I think that this movie also does that in some ways, but it's really about like, all right, like now this, this one's not just about, you know, a bunch of money going to Le Chief. This film's not about somebody buying up some water in the middle of some desert, right? This film is about like, people. Is dying. that what Quantum of Solace was about? I still don't know. <laughs> Maybe I had to think back briefly and I just picked one one narrative piece of the narrative that I remembered, but I could be wrong. Someone can correct me in the comments what Quantum of Solace is about. But I think this one is about like, all right, like if you as long as you are failing in this movie, people who also serve their country are dying. And I think that it really adds an extra extra cost to some of these failures um, that we've seen through the first two movies. And I think those those failures persist in this film. And I think that a lot of this, a lot of the development in Craig's character then comes in how he is able to mentally and physically 
overcome sort of the additive nature of a lot of his failures and even some of his biggest failures, right? And the fact that he disappeared for three months and, you know, he's having to trust in other people like him to stand, like to go to bat for him. And he has to be, and he has to repay that trust or there's just like such serious consequences at the end of the day. They do also raise the personal stakes. That's what I was saying as he does go, you know, back to Bond's roots when he visits his, you know, childhood manor in Scotland and upping the stakes in that way. I found that a little bit, I found that additive, but less interesting, I think, than what was going on to the stuff that I could, you know, more readily, I think, pull back towards some of the overarching, you know, themes and arc of the character. I think Craig is still like, he just, I think this is just sort of not additive to how good he is in Bond, but like it cements it, right? Like it just kind of proves like to me, like Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, you know, those aren't flukes when you have, you know, just such a steely action oriented physical performance again from, from Craig here. And I think that he's not necessarily, in my opinion, showing you anything that you haven't seen from him in the first two of his bond movies, but he's showing you that he can, he can do it over and over and over again and still not get boring. It still is entertaining. It still is exciting to see him, you know, his bond do the next, you know, crazy opening scene or, you know, set piece towards the end of the movie, like whatever it might be. I think he's just confirming that, you know, he still got it. In this case, it's like, you know, four years after the, after the last movie. And I think that it's it's impressive the sort of consistency I think that he get that you get from this performance, even especially because I do think that the um, at the emotional level it is evolving over the films. The fact that he's able to do both, I think it's always been what I found really impressive about Craig, and maybe haven't appreciated as much until this sort of countdown series and watching them and being more analytical. But I think it's really there. Yeah, and I will say that I think uh, Quantum of Solace does set up like the idea that oh bonds you know experience with vesper and losing vesper has forced him to sort of confront who are the people that really mean anything to me and the answer that he comes down on is m right and and he's and he's sort this, of betrayed at the end at the beginning of the movie by, and by in that. this movie yeah but to, even still even yeah. still he seems to like you know, again he's like learning a lesson almost from vesper because she kind of betrays him in the end too yeah, or true. at least you know he thinks um, that she does, but he, you know, still, even, even despite that being the circumstances, the second he sees that MI6 has been attacked, right. He's, he flies back, right. He, he, he's coming back to the rescue. Like he's not going to sit there and nurse his wounds. And I think M is a lot of the reason for that. Um, so I will give them credit for paying that off in this movie. Jay, what are your thoughts on, on Craig here? I mostly agree with Scott. I think the one spot where i'll push back and say i think craig to me at least like does just add a little something different like on the emotional level like specifically just sinking a little bit lower like definitely more than we're accustomed to generally in the bond series and then even maybe a little bit still a little bit more than the last two movies i think we've had moments of his like you know vulnerability or just like you know not being at like 100%, like when he's talking to Emma on the boat about Vesper's betrayal at the end of uh, Casino Royale, you know, when he's like grappling with, you know, those same demons again in Quantum of Solace. But again, like watching him, you know, have to go through like word association and essentially like not be able to shoot 
you know, a target and he's like walking towards it and still just like missing, you know, I think, and you know, his conversation with uh, Hugh at the museum where, you know, all he sees is a a big bloody ship because he's like, just like refusing to, you know, kind of, you know, acknowledge what a bad spot he's in. You know, to me, like that, that added something more to it. Like, I I think ultimately what I'm going to remember from this movie is like, I mean, are just the stakes and like the emotional ride much more than like the action. Um, whereas I feel like, you know, in past Bond movies, like it could have gone either way. Like there are obviously some very silly things I can point to, like odd job, for example. But in this movie, I, I really think it is like just kind of like seeing a Bond like that low for that long, you know, like I, again, like is just kind of what made like his performance stand out to me, like in this one compared to the last two. Cause then, you know, definitely. I'd be hard pressed to find a, a moment in any of the other bonds that we've watched where like bond is, you know, that messed up. Like, I guess, I don't know, Timothy Dalton going on his like revenge killing spree, but he wasn't like, it was more played as like a revenge anger. Yeah. You know, like he's obviously yeah. like very broken up about it, but he's not, you know, necessarily showing it in the way that like Craig is now. And that's not a knock on him. I'm just saying it's different. And like, we haven't seen a bond at this point. And I don't know that, that did something for me, like, you know, in terms of like me enjoying the movie. And with Dalton again, it's just like it's still like a self-contained thing. Yeah, he's on this quest for revenge. There's like a personal element to it, but it's for that one movie, right? We don't see it developing over the course of several movies in the way that we do with, you know, this character, with this version of Bond, with this performance. And I think it's all the better for that. Um, I don't know if it's worth spending that much time on the Bond girls. But here's what I'll say. Let's bring M into this category of Bond yeah. girls because I think, you know, she is, for all intents and purposes, uh, the the Bond girl here. You do have Berenice Marlowe playing uh, Severine, I believe is her name. Um, and, you know, you can also, I think, classify um, Naomi Harris as um, Eve Moneypenny as, uh, you know, a Bond girl of sorts in the movie. She, you know, she is sort of teaming up with Bond at the beginning of the movie. Um but yeah, it's you know it is really so much about his relationship with Judy Dench as MJ. What do you want to say about you know the female roles here? I mean, we can't heap enough praise on Judy Dench. Like you know, definitely gonna miss her going forward. Um, she's definitely made the movies she's been in this, to this point like better. This one obviously way more so because she's again given so much more to do. Um, I mean, you guys you know going into this the Craig Bond specifically like talked about how that relationship was going to evolve and you know. He like breaks into her house and she's like more or less okay with it. That was something. But this again, you know, just whole other thing and like realizing, you know, what a history they have. And like, you know, it, it came through as like believable. And like, I would, you know, I, I can't imagine any bond before this, like would have dared to go there. Um, you know, so for that reason, like hats off, you know, if we want to talk about Severine, I, you know, I can't find the scene of him walking into the shower with her, like at all acceptable when like five minutes before we found out she was sold into the slave trade at the age of 12. Thank you. Thank that you. Was like, I was thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> that, <laughs> no, like, that was, that was a real big dud for me. Like we, we've seen. Oh some my goodness. Really, don't get me wrong. You know, for this, over the course of this franchise, we've seen a lot of duds when it comes to like how like bonds interactions with women. But this one was like, again, like, especially, you know, it's an oof. The, the, the Craig ones were trending a little bit better, right? Like, you know, this unnamed agent too, you know, who was like being snarky with him throughout this movie, like hadn't seemed totally smitten with him yet. And then, yeah, this happens. And I'm like, oh, come on. 
that was that was tough. Um, yeah, and yeah. I want to <laughs> add too. I want to add too that Money Penny. I am also not really thrilled with her portrayal. I, I actually, I mean, I like Naomi Harris in the role a lot, but I don't like the whole angle of like, oh, she's a field agent, whatever. She makes this mistake, um, like, and she um, still clearly wants. She, yeah. she wants to be a field agent still and basically kind of gets like bullied out of it by the end um, into like just being like, no, I'm going to just work at a desk. I mean, again, knowing what we know about the character, like in retrospect now, like I'm just going to work at a desk and just flirt with Bond all day. Um, and it's like, I don't know, it, it feels a little like humiliating to like, you know, take that character. We're going to say, no, you're not you don't really need to be in the field. Um, and, you know, they try to play it off. It's like, oh, well, I decided I didn't want to be in the field or whatever. I've decided it's not for me or whatever. But to have like that, to have that be a female character coming to that realization and to have it be Moneypenny, right, who we know from all the other movies is just like, you know, this kind of, you know, throw off character who just has a little, you know, flirt with Bond for five minutes in each movie. Um, it just feels like, again, a little condescending to where she is at the beginning of the movie so i don't love that part of it either scott the bond girls is that what we're talking about still <laughs> yeah oh man um judy dench <laughs> let's talk about her yeah um look i i think that if we are going to put her up against all the other bond girls in the series i think she's up there with eva green as sort of you know the top two bond girls right i think that she is someone who I won't say that she has an arc over multiple Bond movies. I wouldn't go that far. I mean, obviously we have a very, we have a very strong sense of who this version of M is from other movies at like, in terms of the way that she manages Bond as a character, but it's not like we have any backstory or any, you know, even personal motivations going on or any real conflict that surrounds M until this film. But I do think the fact that we are familiar with this character heading into the film, and we are to an extent invested in this character as well, I think really, really sets it off on the right foot to then again incorporate this character who we've been with you know, across multiple iterations, if you count different, you know, different actor, different actresses, um, you know, for every movie in the countdown. So it's nice then to see that character get a payoff um in, in a meaningful way and even more so when it's done so artfully in terms of how they tie in you know her history of service the mistakes that she's made and being accountable for those mistakes going all the way back to when she was the section chief in hong kong or wherever it was and i think that the, the payoff there is is really immense right like we understand you know, from a from a third person perspective, obviously, because this film is still a Bond movie, you know, what happens there and how she has to sort of has had to move past it. And there's I think there's a lot of ambiguity around, like, whether she really did roll this character under the bus or if, she, you know, because we we really get most like most of that knowledge of what happened back in the 90s or however long before it was is from Raul De Silva's um perspective and i think it's really interesting that they introduce that and they don't really have him defend it too much they you know she briefly gives you know her side of things about how he was you know a completely insane sort of agent who was doing all these things on the side and they and you see her sort of dismiss this narrative that he 
has sort of created for the viewer. And I think that's very intentional, um, you know, a very intentional framing from from the plot um, from Sam Mendes here. And I think that that's really interesting then that you sort of have this journey to overcome that. And I think, again, it's super well acted, um, superbly done, really maintaining what I feel like is the real essence of this character of M, sort of this very British um, sort of, you know, stiff upper lip type character, you know, woman who's like clawed her way to the top and had to sort of be like the men, right? And and be this person who is like very unemotional, very um, decisive and doesn't really look back um, or have regrets about the decisions that she makes. And I think that the, the way she's able to maintain that character and sort of also give the character, you know, the, the emotional softness that I think is also required to deliver the emotional punch at the end of the movie, I think is, is really superbly done. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, the reason that they don't try to combat Raul Silva's story too much, I think, because this is the approach you see from M from the very first we see her like in Goldeneye, you know, she basically tells Bond, like, I don't care if you die out there, like, you know, and that's kind of just her, her approach to, um, running running this organization right is sometimes people have to to lose their lives but she has this like very utilitarian perspective of we're gonna you know if we can save more lives by losing one agent or something then i'm gonna do it every time um but in this movie she's really reckoning with like what is the human consequence of that like what are, what are the human costs of that and you know first of all when you know her decision costs she thinks costs bond his life and second of all, when she sees that her decision in the past has now turned, you know, Raul Silva into, you know, a genuine threat to hundreds of millions of people. Um, and, you know, so so I think that is such a strong, um, you know, arc for a supporting character to be having in these movies. And, I, you know, I, I, I think, you know, for her to go out in the way that she does is it's a pretty noble exit, I think, um, because, um, again, she, I think, I think in the end, she finally sort of like realizes the emotional connection that she does actually have, um, to the people that she works with. I mean, specifically, I think bond. Um, but you know, it, it's almost like Scott, you're talking about like the patriotic element of it earlier. It's almost like a Dunkirk, like, you know, again, like the failure is success in a certain sort of way. Like um, you, you, you failed, but you may have failed, but like, you know, you were um, representing your country the best that you could, right. You're, you were, um, you know, com coming together, you were uniting, you know, the country was uniting with bond and M um, to sort of, um, I, I don't know where I'm going with this, but uh <laughs> But again, it is it is like the whole co combination of failure and patriotism uh, does make me think of Dunkirk. And I think it is present in this movie. And there is patriotic imagery and everything throughout the film. Like, um, it, it's that's what I was going to say. Like, th this feels aspect. Yeah, it's like Sam Mendes, eh, like I, he's kind of just like low key. I feel like one of the most patriotic mainstream British filmmakers at the very least. Like it, there's just like a lot of it's just like like really British pride in a lot of this movie more so than I feel like I've seen it in the other bond movie and definitely rivals something like Dunkirk, you know, 1917 is another, yeah. obviously of his movies that feels extremely patriotic. It's interesting. The flavor. Let's talk brings. about, 
yeah, let's talk for a moment about Raul Silva um, as the villain here. Um, you know, a lot of people are huge fans of this performance. Think he's you know top near the top of the list of Bond villains. Um, do you guys agree, Jay? He's more memorable. And, you know, I've been clamoring, you know, for the, the Craig Bonds to give us a more memorable and more eccentric villain. Um, they did. <laughs> you know, and this is me turning around and saying, it was, it was fine. Like, again, I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to remember him. I don't even remember the villain of the last movie. Like, straight up could not tell you. Like, it's Le Chief in Casino Royale. I don't, I don't remember who the villain of the last movie is. But, you know, I'm Dominic not going to... Dominic Green. Sure. Um, but yeah, uh, I know it's with an E at the end too. Huh? Um, no, you do remember. Well, you know, now that you, you know, jog my memory a bit, but the point is, is I wouldn't have gotten that on my own unless multiple choice maybe. But the point is, is, you know, we got a more memorable villain. Um, I think I need to go watch no country. It's been on my list for the longest time and see if it's just him that maybe I'm like, eh, maybe not for me. Um, or not. I will, I will say that I think that like the vibe that the, that, Anton Chagrin and then Raul Silva go off is sugar, similar. Yeah. yeah, sugar. Yeah. Um, they give similar vibes. I mean, they're different performances. They're different people, but um, the, the vibes are similar. He, he, Javier Bardem doing this whole villain thing, especially this like sort of like very, I don't know if caricature is the right word, but these very exaggerated, like sort of like almost like super like horrible people. Um, sure. Is, is a particular vibe. Yeah. And I mean, again, he, you know, he brings something new to it. Like it's, it's like, you know, it's memorable. I still haven't really landed on like good versus bad. What I will say, <laughs> this is maybe more a function of the story than him, though, right? If this his plan, like we've seen some really like nonsensical plans, but this is a nonsensical plan pretending to be a really well smart thought out plan. When in no way could this have been like so well thought out. To the point where, like, I was I was reading something that was comparing this to other movies that do the like get caught on purpose, um, only to break out and wreak havoc, like Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight, for example. And like, this makes that one look like it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> like, this one made absolutely no sense. Again, you got to turn your brain off, whatever. But you know, the fact that it was like trying to masquerade as a as a well thought out plan, when in reality, like, there's no way. You know. Yeah. You didn't like the like Magneto like plastic prison that they put him in there or whatever in the uh, MI6 bunker. That's funny. I actually more went to um, uh, Bruce Banner's cage in the first Avengers though. There's no reason that's like plastic. It's just a similar like it's because Loki yeah. also gets trapped in there and then breaks out and wreaks havoc. And I don't know. It's it, it's it's been done. Um, yeah, I don't know. This one just it was really out there. Yeah, they really walk right into it. Q, Q and them, like, they just, they really walk right into the, his whole I mean, plan. like, unfortunately, there's no way to, like, decode, you know, Silva's files without hooking it up directly to our servers. Like, mm -hmm. you know, Q's supposed to be smart. <laughs> he's an amateur, wrong. though. We're, we're, he's we're new. He's new on Q. the job. He's new yeah, on the job. We're, we're going to talk about Q, and I'm going to heap all the praise on him, because, oh, my God, like, might be my favorite performance in the movie. I'm not even kidding. Um Oh, ben Wishaw, okay. No, I I loved uh, his performance, but we're not talking about that right now. Um, go ahead. Go I'll ahead. do it. We can. We can okay, finish sure. right there. Why yeah, not? He, about it. Yeah, talk about like, it. So I, I already talked about, you know, Craig in the museum, right? But like Q in the museum. But first of all, I also like that we, you know, 
have it pointed out that like Q stands for quartermaster. I don't know if that's actually happened before, or if it just kind of like flew over my head, but they like, I see you shaking no, I your think head. It's, I think it's meant to be a reveal like in this movie kind of. I see. Well, I, I appreciate it. I was like, oh, it's nice to like know this. Um, and that's in a movie where we found out that M was for Emma. Um, I still was like, this is cool. And yeah, I don't know. His like his banter with Bond, you know, age is no guarantee of efficiency. Uh, you know, to which you know he retorts like a and what youth is no guarantee of innovation. I was like, this is super fun, um, very just like dry, sarcastic, witty humor. Yeah. Um, and you know, we don't go in for exploding pens anymore. Ha ha. You know, like saw that. So yeah, you want to talk about like a character I'm gonna remember and really liked, like Q, without a doubt. Yeah, some of that like nostalgia stuff, some of the fan service stuff works better than other stuff, in my opinion. Um, like the um, the Aston Martin reveal, I think it's pretty solid. Like I like that a lot. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's there's something else that I can't remember towards the end that I didn't really love. I think it's something about his interaction with Money Penny that I felt like didn't work that well. But Scott, while I'm trying to remember, what do you think about Raul Silva? If you want to say anything about Q, you can throw him in there as well. Yeah, I like, I guess I, I, I am a fan of Raul Silva. I think, like I sort of said at the beginning, I do think Javier Bardem's eccentricities um, in the way that he sort of performs this sort of, you know, super villain type character. I think it works. I think that the sort of the, again, I, I think eccentric, you know, eccentric is probably like the you know, professional way of saying it, but like the sort of the, the, the the kookiness of, of the character fits in, in the franchise, right? Like he doesn't get some wacky bond name to go along. Like that's like, I feel like that's like the main thing this character is missing. Just some sort of like really outlandish name. I don't know, like whatever. Um, I, I, I honestly feel like they could have done it. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it would have just felt really out of place. Jaws. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it would have worked well. Teeth? No, I got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for explaining. That's all I can come up with on the spot. What else is there? Like cyanide face? Yeah. I don't know. That's like the best. That's like the best part of the character that like they're that's like super dark and like Yeah. Yeah, unsettling in a way you don't expect to see in a Bond movie, like when he does that whole thing. But yeah, but yeah, I think the performance is good. It, like I said, I think it fits in. Um I, I do I do get what Jay is saying about he's not sure how to feel about it, good or bad. And I think that's just the, to me, in, in my mind, I think that's why it works really well in a lot of ways, because I do think a lot of the modern sensibility of of this sort of, you know, soft reboot that they did with starting with Craig is that I think that it just makes things a little bit more ambiguous in terms of like what your expectations are versus in reality what it is. And I think that the type of villain that Javier Bardem delivers with Silva is one where you're just like, man, I like, I'm not sure whether I liked the performance or I didn't like the performance. And I think that's like kind of the point and why it works kind of well. And I think that his connection, I guess if I were to say one thing that I think that could have improved and maybe made the character feel like a little bit richer is like one, we don't see, we don't even see or even really know about this character that much until like an hour hour and a half into the movie and that's like a long time for your bond villain reveal i don't know what like sort of the stopwatch timer is but like we meet lachif in like the first scene or the second it's scene an hour and 10 minutes actually I, I looked this up 
Yeah. So it's like we, we meet Lashif in Casino Royale, like the second scene of the movie. Like he has this he has that meeting out in like, I don't know if it's Uganda or, or where it's at. Um, mm-hmm. Sudan, maybe. I'm not sure. Um, where you like you see who the villain you don't necessarily know he's the villain yet, but you got to sense like one of these guys is the bad guy. Right. And I think that's true for like most of the Bond movies, if not all of the ones that we've watched, like you meet Goldfinger and like what is essentially the first scene in Goldfinger, like out by the pool. Like he flies to Miami and he sees gold, like he sees Goldfinger. Um, And so I think it's really weird to have, you know, sort of this whole first act plus of the movie where there's not a villain yet. Like, you know, that there's something out there, right? Like the, the antagonist of the film is, is whoever has stolen this, this list of agents. uh, Right. But like, you don't know who that is. You don't have a face to a name. You don't know their background. And so that compresses a lot of what this performance can be into a pretty short film. Like after that, you have like an hour and five hour and 10 minutes to have this like full journey with going from the first scene where he walks out of the elevator, gives his very, you know, Bond villain mustache twirling monologue in this, you know, wide angle still shot that might have been one of the shots that Jay said he didn't like fully love or appreciate very much. Um, but, but which I think works really well. And I think that you, they're going for something with like, sort of like the out there-ness of it that I don't think you're supposed to like totally get to be honest. And b- because like he's spent, I guess if the movie's in real time or whatever, like he's spent like 17, 15, like 18 years sort of just like, presumed dead living this sort of like second shadow life being a cyber you know i don't know terrorist turned cyber terrorist kind of thing here um because obviously i don't think you were a cyber terrorist and terrorist in the mid 90s uh but like i I think that there's just a lot you sort of like there's just like a lot of pre like us like stuff that you learn sort of under underlie the character later on when you learn like sort of the backstory with him that I think you don't get it's like more told to you than you get like experienced, I think. And I think that's what kind of lends itself to sort of maybe the the un like the lack of of conviction and maybe feeling like it's a, a really truly, you know, a or like S tier villain in the Bond franchise. But I think like a lot of the ingredients are there. And I think just a function of the movie being so much about Bond and M and their like struggles to overcome their own personal failures sort of puts the like the ultimate villain into a secondary sort of like backseat role. And they're really just like a function of the failures of these characters more than they are like driving the failures themselves, which I think is an interesting take. And that doesn't say much about the performance, I guess, of Javier Bardem. But I think contextualizing who like Silva is as a villain um, almost like necessitates understanding that like he's not the same kind of villain that you get in like a lot of other Bond movies. He's not as like, he is a very he is a very active player in in the plot, but he's at the end of the day like not the not not per se the ultimate thing that they are like fighting against. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the performance to be honest. Um, but like I said, I think it's just a little bit much for this particular movie. Um, yeah. I don't love like when he's at, at the end, uh, you know, out at Skyfall or whatever, he thinks he's killed Bond. He's, and he like, just is like monologuing to himself. He's like, now it's just me and her or something like that. Like, you know, I think that's just like, he's crazy, him. right? Like he, 
he sort of devoted his but, life but to, it, to him. But that's the thing. They're like trying so hard in a way to like be like, isn't he weird? Isn't he crazy? And like the only move, the only moment that I really felt like he was super weird was like when the he did the teeth thing, right? Like that was the only moment where I was like, oh wow, this is like kind of shockingly unsettling. The other time it's just like a general, like vague but non-specific weirdness about the character that just like again is is kind of like a don't you feel weird watching this character type of thing that just doesn't exactly work for me. Like, I think they're just trying a little bit too hard with it. I don't really know another way to say it than that, but yeah, I, I guess I, I, I do hear what you're saying. And I think that, mm -hmm. I think that's just like, that is what they were going for. I, I think that they're going for like, this is M's biggest failure, right? Like you were, I mean, talk like just putting it very explicitly, like M to like, there is a read of this. that like M M turned him into this really unsettling, weird guy which is like in some ways worse than like if she had turned someone into goldfinger right like i, I guess that that's kind of how i read it it's like it's almost like the sort of in-betweenness of it all that makes it worse i don't know yeah maybe no i, I mean i i see what you're saying i don't know i just feel like you can still make him weird and crazy but let's do it in more interesting ways more specific ways more like let's go, get really dark with it you know like let's have more of that like the teeth imagery or something with this character that's um, what you wanted at the end like in the final fight you wanted him to come out with like I no did, teeth yeah. in or whatever like full 90s exactly. camp totally um no they wouldn't have worked in this movie but um yeah yeah, God, yeah. Weird. make it make it darker i guess that's what i'm saying um have them shoot a child we anything we want to say about adele and the uh theme song here i'll be honest i feel kind of feel the way that i feel about most of adele's music which is it's well performed musically sonically completely uninteresting to me like I, I i find this song to be pretty boring um and a lot of people again a lot of people love it right? it won the oscar a lot of people like this top tier bond song I don't get it. I'm sorry. Anything I want to add? Second tier Bond song. I think, again, like I, I think you're right that like it's it's a phenomenal performance. Um, I don't know. Also, just like, yeah, I don't know. I, second tier. Like, she is obviously first tier. I would say, but like as a Bond song, I'll you know put this in at second tier. Um, I'll leave it at that. God, what are you guys smoking? This song is great. I, I think that I think that the thing that not a lot of the Bond movies that we watch, like they have, like I, I guess I'm having a hard time distinguishing what you guys are like wanting out of a Bond song, other than like a cool song, a good performance, and maybe the song's boring. Okay, sure, like the song's not cool for you. I get that. Um, if that's just like not what you think is, but like I don't know, like the, the song is like very much trying to like fit in with the themes of the movie, right? Like I think it's a really well-written song for the film i think that in the context of the movie it it really does sort of enhance that element in the same like more more so i think certainly than like most if not all the other bond songs we've listened to that are just ultimately like cool songs to to play when you want to like listen to a piece of music that is like tangentially related to a bond movie but like maybe oh. that's just it right like because I'm, I'm thinking about the ones i like and 
they don't yeah. really add anything to the story, but yeah, I mean, again, I, I lyrically it may work. I, sonically, it is not interesting to me. And the way that like "Live and Let Die," which has like the crazy tempo shifts in it, like um, nobody does it better, has like the big brass that comes in at the end. Plus, I think Carly Simon's voice is just like so well suited to that. Um, I can't wait to hear what you think of Sam Smith, <laughs> Inspector. What? <laughs> um, yeah, unfortunately, that's a thing that happened. But don't worry, No Time to Die has a banger. It's already been released. It's oh, it's sonically but interesting. It is. It is sonically interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that that's the problem for me. Like, I hear what you're saying. I, to I totally do. And again, I think it's well performed by Adele. It's just like very sort of from a composition standpoint, from a production standpoint, it's just like very milk toast like bond like production you know it's just like pretty bland like let's you know throw together what sounds like a bond song um and i don't know it just I, that just really feels weird. like i mean what, I, is I, a bond, I, I, what does a bond song sound like i don't like I, I can add in like a slightly different critique to it which is i didn't find the mermaid scene that particularly interesting like like the like the thing that the, the opening oh, the visuals that playing mean, yeah. with the song yeah yeah so you know that I'm not, can't knock a Del. I'm not. I'm not going to. But in terms of like the opening credits, like you know. Yeah, I'm not saying that there's anything in particular I like want out of a bong song, other than just like a good song and a fun song to listen to, an interesting song. Mm -hmm. um, I just don't think Skyfall delivers that, and I think there is like a certain general sound that you associate with Bond songs. Well, I say, what just, is that? Because I don't know what that is. Because if anything, I, I would say that this is not that. Yeah, I don't know, kind of like strings heavy, like, um, you know, sort of, I, I don't know. I, I'd have to like parse through it a little bit more by listening to some of them. Um, I just think that what you like, what I would come to is like, I would think something like Live and Let Die or Goldfinger is more traditionally a Bond song, much more so than than Skyfall would be. Not, not Live and Let Die, I would say. I think Goldfinger and Skyfall have a lot in common, honestly, song-wise. Again, it's like this kind of bombastic power ballads almost with like strings, you know, heavily heavily backed by strings a lot of times. Yeah. I think Goldfinger and, and Skyfall are both kind of that. But Live yeah. and Let Die is its own animal. It's, you know, it feels like it feels like a song by its artist. Like it feels like a wing song more than it does a song written for a giant James Bond movie. Maybe that's what I'm really trying to say. I mean, this just, feels very much like a song written, like it, song written it, by Adele. It, it does. I just don't find <laughs> yeah. Adele's artistry as interesting as I find, yeah. you know, Paul McCartney or sure. Carly Simon or whoever. Um, I'm really surprised you didn't say the word Taylor Swift or was Taylor Swift just now, but moving well, on. Taylor Swift could. She's not British. I was so. gonna say she could do a Bond song, but she could not do a Bond song. But she's reinvented herself so many times at this point successfully <laughs> that I think she probably could eventually. Uh, Ed Sheeran should do a Bond song. Jack Antonoff, get on it. Um, yeah. Okay, last. Although last I guess thing Billie Eilish isn't British, so who even cares? No, she's not. Uh, before we wrap up, action scenes. We haven't talked that much about them. Um, Crazy. I just happens. I never get to go first, so I just want to say yeah, the freaking. It silhouetted fight in hong kong or in shanghai between him and and um what's his name uh pierce or something something with a p uh patrice. the first guy he goes after patrice yeah um awesome like that was like john wick right there like the, the whole ambiance of that just felt like john wick and again like the deacon's influence i think is is big there but that was just like, that was one of those moments where i was like yes like there's like originality there's like genuine craft and everything in the way that this whole thing was staged and shot and 
choreographed and everything, and it's it's a great action sequence. And I honestly w- wish it had gone on for longer because the fight doesn't really last too long, to be honest. With you. But that that's a big standout for me. And what do you guys? Think? No, I mean I think that's mine too. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and use this time to point out. So the, the final, the big final scene, right at Skyfall. Again, like you know, there has to be a certain amount of like brain turning off for this, but I don't like the fact that they went all like home alone on the end, you know, like making these homemade explosive devices and basically like going back to, you know, a manor which had one person and presu- you know, it was supposed to have a lot of guns, but would that really have helped? Like there is absolutely like- no reason they shouldn't have been absolutely like outgunned, like destroyed. Oh, man. It happens so oh, man, quickly too. Just, yeah. It happens so quickly too. Like he just rolls up. Like I, who knows how long it's been since he's actually seen Albert Finney's, you know, character. Um, and they're just like, you know, they exchange a few words, and it's like, okay, we know what we need to do. Like we're gonna break out the booby traps we've been sitting on for thirty years or something. Like it again. It just it all just feels like very calculated in a strange way, but. But see, this is another instance of the movie like doing something that's intended to be like, look how smart we are. And it's like, there's this just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I'll be honest. The Skyfall stuff is probably my least favorite part of that from the action perspective, just because it's really dark. Like, I don't always like when action scenes are shot. What was the silhouette scene, We just scene, talked about Scott? the silhouette scene, though. I was going to say, which, no, by no, the way, but I love, like, the, the dark is not the, a the complaint the of mine. The aesthetic of that is cool. You know what I'm saying? This is just more like just kind of, plain dark like there's actually like interesting stuff like again aesthetically from that here it's just like it's nighttime we're in an old house we're just gonna you know shoot nighttime in an old house they use mirrors that is true that yeah that's that's kind of interesting um but i I don't know it 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 felt just like a general sort of climactic action sequence that wasn't quite on quite on par with the rest of the action in the movie for me at least for me this uh, that's just so surprising to me that's the perspective because like i would say like yes the silhouette fight for sure like that is probably the most interesting but like this is a bond movie doing something different with its like climactic set piece like doing a sort of like turn like home alone it's not going to be bond just running in and firing guns at a bunch of bad guys and i don't know hand-to-hand combat or whatever like this is where yes he's trying to be more clever I don't know, like, what's so crazy about about these, like, bo- like what you say, booby traps. Like, they all they essentially made was that they put like nails and like wired them into the lights where you turn the lights on. Like, there's not that many booby traps. And they put like involved. dynamite in the floor or something, like whatever it was. My point is, like, yeah, again, like there has to be a certain amount of brain turning off, right? But imagine, like, think about all that Javier Bardem's like Silva was able to anticipate in his big like escape and attack the capital scene before he gets spoiled by a fire extinguisher somehow. And then, like, again... Welcome to Scotland. And then, yeah, exactly. Like, welcome to Scotland. And it just... I don't know. I, I don't know, like, how I would have done it differently. Like, I, I realize I shouldn't just sit here and, like, critique. It's, and, like, it's, something it's not a big knock on the movie. It's not. It's, it's not. just something it's, yeah, I just like, find not, kind of amusing. Like. Yeah, like, and it's not... I'm not going to remember, like, the big fight at Skyfall. I'll remember, like, the end of it, you know, but, like, the, the big fight at Skyfall... How can, you not, how can you not remember the helicopter just yeah. flying into the castle? I mean, that's incredible. See, like, I, you know, I don't know, again, maybe it's just me. I personally, like, would prefer, kind of prefer the, like, fight that um, James Bond and Trevelyan have on, like, the big antenna or whatever at the end of Goldeneye. I think that's kind of cool. 
I don't know. For me, but, again, but you they, get that with the tower in Shanghai. Like that is like the hand-to-hand combat. Like there, yeah. I I just interpret this as like there's just trying to give the, give you this massive diversity and like the action that you're getting in the movie. Like you get your chase scene in the opening scene where they're like driving on the rooftops of the Grand Bazaar and fighting on a train, and then you get the silhouette fight in Shanghai, which I think is awesome. Then you get like this sort of like like gambling pit fight where you know they, there's a komodo dragon or like whatever that thing is yeah right? that was like, awesome that felt like a roger moore bond movie right there yeah no that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it wasn't alligator it was a komodo dragon but yeah, yeah. Like, and he and, well he literally jumps on like off the dragon on to get back up yeah. to the to the staircase oh, yeah that was so awesome i love <laughs> yeah. that um yeah but, and and, and then you just... get this sort of like clever like trying to be more clever booby traps um needing to to be smart about it because you're so outnumbered with the final one. And I think it all comes together like really well. So you don't have like, you don't get, you don't get the same thing over and over again. Um, you get this diversity. Yeah, I guess. I, I, mean, I don't it, think it's, any, it, it's like weirdly raising the stakes for like seemingly no good reason. Like, why do you need to have this fight at Skyfall? Like, I don't know. I, I don't know. It, yeah. But, what, well, where would you, I mean, I mean, I guess you could say they could have gone anywhere. You, like, that's just it, though. Like you, like you could have gone. Like I, if if. But Silver, the personal if, stakes if are there for Bond, though. I mean, the whole thing is about going back to your roots, right, and having to deal with your past. But like, like that's the whole theme of the movie. But it's not really like Bond. Like it, it's more like you've said it repeatedly. Like it's M's greatest failure, right? Like going back to like M's roots, and like Silva was like her long lost adopted son, or conversely, like if Silva was like Bond's long lost brother, and you go back to Skyfall. Oh my God, that'd have been so stupid, though. That would have been, been a Fast and Furious movie right there. Yeah. Um, that would have been stupid if they were related. I, I think what it boils down well, to. Well, like, I mean, is, yes, I think if you just like randomly threw in a related, but like I'm saying, like, assuming you take that, then like the fight taking place at Skyfall makes a lot, and like their childhood home getting destroyed or something like makes more sense, right? But I don't know, whatever. Like, but, but there's like the whole thing throughout the whole movie where like Bond is an orphan and that's what. And like M, like the best recruits are orphans, yeah. and like having to face his past, which he has consistently run away from, which is why he joined MI6 to begin with, and is the similarity that he has with Silva. And so, like, he goes back and faces that. Maybe it should have been like the it's same symbolic. orphanage they grew up. In. It is symbolic, and I don't know. It like whatever. It. Listen, I think what it boils down to for me is that if I were to go on YouTube right now and watch the Skyfall action sequence at the end of the movie, I'd probably be like, "Yeah, this is really cool." But I was tired by the get. I mean, it's a long movie, right? It's two. it's two two twenty, and I think by the time we get to the end, I'm like, okay, like let's come on, let's let's get it over with a little bit. Let's so they got to read it up. They got to put the silhouette fight at the end of the movie for Scott. Yeah, yeah, sure, maybe. Who knows? Maybe yeah. then I would have just been tuned out too. Like that. There's only you know so much I can take of a movie that is like. <laughs> very action driven you know like when it when yeah. it comes to like running time like I, I at a certain point you know a little goes a long way to a certain to an extent and you know this movie goes a lot further than you know many of the other bond movies and most action movies in general for me um mm-hmm. but i think you know it it definitely could have shaved off a little bit or it definitely could have you know i don't have a problem with them going back to skyfall i i do think it works in the context of the movie yeah but the sequence just felt a little bit long in the tooth to me. How do we like the scene on the beach? Drinking a little alcohol, 
not getting bitten by a scorpion or stung by a scorpion. Yeah, that was kind of weird. And, but I'm also <laughs> also cutting down. I think the first scene with Silva, like his the converse, long conversation monologue that they have, was kind of one of the more uninteresting parts of the movie to me too. But I like that. And to okay. circle to to circle back from earlier, I do want to say that the last thing I didn't really like was the fan service moment at the end with Money Penny, where he's like, um. I don't think we've been properly introduced yet. It was like, some lazy what? way to do it. They were on a mission <laughs> together, and like so... very clearly paired up. Like, were oh, they on I a know. mission together? Like, weren't they? Were they? I mean, it seemed like it. I I chuckled. I was, was like, oh, it was ha-ha. so shoe- it was so shoehorned in to get that like big reveal at the end of like, oh, it was Money Penny. What? That's crazy. You know, like I was just like, I chuckled. Like, would it have sure. been better if, if she just sat down at the desk and she has like a little placard on her desk that says Eve Money Penny? Would that would have been better? Yes, actually. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm that not being sarcastic. Been I think that it would have been better too. Yeah. And you know, at the at the end, like with with him and Gareth Mallory with Ray Fines, who by the way we haven't mentioned it, but I think he's good in the movie. Lord Voldemort um, himself. He goes into the office, though, like, and if you've ever seen a Bond movie, it's like, you know, this is M's office, right? Like, he's gone into M's office, but he still feels the need to say, like, that this is M. And, like, what I, I don't remember what the exact line was, but I felt like it was really, like, an unnecessary place to, like, God, you just don't like to have any to him by the name <laughs> M. Oh, my God. Insufferable. That's not, that's not, that's not true. Again, I like some of the fan service moments. Yeah. I think the Aston Martin reveal and all that is really cool. Uh, I like the Casino Royale bit about the martini. I think that's great. Th- this it just felt like fan service for the sake of fan service. You know, it just it, they didn't yeah they didn't uh, work it in in a uh, clever way. But well, they can't they couldn't have called him earlier in the movie when they when you know our you know our Lord and Savior Judy Dench no, is still but, alive. But what I'm saying is, you can keep that scene, keep everything about that scene. You just don't need to call have him call him M and like I don't know what I felt like was an unnecessary place. Again, maybe I go back and watch it, I feel differently. Yeah. But like anyone who has seen a Bond movie, anyone who knows what's up, knows that in the end he is walking into M's office. Oh, and look, Ray Fiennes is back there now. We just saw M die. Hmm. Maybe I can put two and two together here and say, hey, this is M that we're talking about here. He's become the new M. I think that's probably I love true. That we're all going to give this like a very high score, but we're yeah, I, still I do knocking it on like no, but but this point. is I'm the, not. This I'm is the, the only thing. one defending when, it. <laughs> when a movie is this good, I think you have to find these little things to like. Yeah. Like the issues are are much smaller, and so that's why it seems like we're complaining about trivial things because you know those are the things that there are to complain about in this movie. It's not like we have you know, huge macro issues like with other movies in the past that we talked about. So that's, yeah. that's my take on that. But all right, we've, uh, we've gone on and on. I think we can move on into wrap up now. Jay, what's your favorite senior moment from Skyfall? Call me crazy. I think it's the museum scene. I, I just really enjoy their banter. I like the idea of like a young Q. I think, you know, he holds his own very well. You know, when he shakes his hand, like Q, like, okay, fine. Like maybe you can like hang, you know, right down to like you know the the fan service at the end like i don't know something about it was just very fun for me i know we've we've talked about how well i know we do this like with doctor who right where like they keep like either the companion or the doctors that like move through the different series to maintain some flow of continuity if this doesn't make sense to you ignore me the point is is like i hope you know with our next bond like you'll keep him as q like again i'm saying this after one movie but like i you know i i really like them as q like if they wanted to keep him on as Q for some thread of continuity, like I would be on board. 
gets killed off in the, first be, of the next movie. I was about to say it's going to be really awkward when we tell uh, him that he dies in Spectre, but okay. Um, <laughs> Scott, your favorite senior moment. Yeah, I can't remember if this happens in this movie or not, but actually when Q is executed in the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> ha, no. ha, ha, ha. Yeah. Let's make fun of Jay. Yeah. <laughs> he gets guillotined. It's really quite brutal for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! God forbid I have some fun with this. Like, yeah, I mean we're having fun, Jay. I don't know what you're having. Um, uh, favorite scene or moment? Yeah, there's a lot to like uh, for me at, at this movie. I've defended it hard, um, even against the minor criticisms. <laughs> it appears. Uh, yeah, I don't know what's my favorite moment. I mean, I, I do like, you know, the, the cinematic nature of it, which Scott was talking about. I think is such a such a big thing, and I think that you get examples of the cinematicness of it in in so many different ways like in the big set pieces sort of in the even in the first scene right where you have these shots of the train and them fighting on it etc and the the long frankly like the longer takes that you get in some of the action scenes but i also do appreciate i think some of the ways that you don't necessarily think about when you think of something being super cinematic but even like how the interstitial pieces of the film are shot as well I think are big. So I'm going to go with a particular, I guess, imagery, which is the scene that Scott says he wasn't a huge fan of. And that is like the monologue where you are introduced to Silva on the, I don't even know what that, where that is like some random Island off the coast of like in the Pacific or off the coast of Macau. Macau is what it, where I think it's supposed to be. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, they sail somewhere from Macau. It's like some, yeah, yeah, that's, island. What, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I think that the, the boldness to sort of just set the camera down basically and have this wide shot and the camera not moving. Silva enters from the elevator. There's some anticipation building up as the elevator, as you see the elevator come down. I just think that's really great. Um, really great work and a great way to introduce this villain who the it's already being built up, being introduced to him. Like you don't know who he is. You don't know anything about him. And the fact that you don't know anything about him, like you're just like kind of like leaning into the screen almost like trying to get a better look at him as he walks closer and closer. Um, I just think that's like brilliant, brilliant filmmaking. Yeah. And I mentioned it earlier for me. It's that sequence of like her reading the Tennyson poem, like contrasted with, um, I guess it's what is it Silva like about to arrive at the um, yeah at the place at the, to sort yeah, of the parliament or wherever they are I don't know where yeah wherever they are um, yeah is awesome with the score and everything yeah it's it's great all right let's put a score on it Jay what do you give Skyfall out of ten very good movie eight point four just shy of nine point eight I was close <laughs> um, uh, nine point six wow. 8.7, it's really good. It's one of the best Bond movies. It's not the best one for me, but I still really enjoy it. And, you know, if it's on, I'll absolutely watch it. All right, guys, that'll do it for this episode of the Bond Countdown. Uh, we hope you have enjoyed this episode. If you have and you'd like to support us, don't forget about our Patreon page. It's something like it, Scott. Uh, uh, mediaplugpods.com. Um, no, that's not what it is. It's patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. There you go. You can support us over there, even if you can't support us. Like, rate, review, subscribe. Do all the things you do on your preferred podcast app. Check out, of course, our main podcast, Some Like It's Got, um, where we're doing weekly movie reviews every single week. Um, check out our new episodes of that. And, of course, we hope you'll join us 
Um, for our final review episode of uh, the 007 countdown as we get into 2015's Spectre. Uh, but until then, for Jay Habib and Scott Shelton, we'll see you next time.